Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast, which follows the 3-0 victory over Leicester City at Old Trafford. That moves United to within three points of Manchester City. Ten points clear of Spurs, who are fifth, although they've got a game in hand. So another clean sheet, another very encouraging Manchester United performance. Well, especially in the second half. Leicester were very good in the first half, but somehow didn't score. The podcast is brought to you in association with Betfred. Fred Doan opened his first shop in Salford in... 1967 is a lifelong red and I'm delighted to welcome today's guest uh, Jim O'Neill. Jim has been on this podcast twice before and we had a huge response when he was on and I know his time is very valuable but I felt that with the news on Friday of a Qatari bid being confirmed for Manchester United it would be remiss not to ask Jim for a little bit of his time. So welcome Jim and uh, thanks for joining us once again and I hope you've feeling pretty encouraged by the football at least yeah um funny game today really um but three points clean sheet as you said uh and a lot of the squad is getting an announcing and you know what i really like is the spirit that you see amongst them seems to be it's got to be a reflection of the manager obviously the results but there seems to be a lot of sort of real spirit for stronger than it's been for quite a long time it seems to me which is lovely yeah you can see that in some of the celebrations and all the feedback i get is yeah. that there's a there's a good uh, buzz and vibe in the dressing room huge week for united now barcelona at home i'm still on a bit of a high after that game on thursday i thought it was fantastic and Amazing i spoke game. to some barcelona fans in the days after and they're like it's the best game we've seen in in ages at camp now because a team came at us again and again and again and it was, uh, that was good to hear as well. And then Wembley for the cup final against Newcastle United. Are you going, Jim? Uh, I can't get a ticket for love nor money. It's, I've never known anything like it. I've been at so many United big finals, including 99 and Moscow. and uh, I just can't get all of a ticket unless I pay utterly, utterly insane money. You would, you would think, well, I need two, what for my son as well. You would think it was like a European Cup final or something. It, it's incredible, but I don't know. I don't really quite get why it is, but I'd love to go. I'm going to be there Thursday. I'm really looking forward to being at OT on Thursday night. That feels like a bit of the old glory days, even though it's only the Europa Cup. But uh, I haven't got any of your listeners. We've got a couple of spare tickets tucked under the pillow. I'll take them off you. Well, <laughs> thousands of people listen to this and. The, I, I saw the feedback yeah. we had over the when we've had you on before. So if someone is listening and, and thinks that Jim, a lifelong red, uh, is worth a ticket and has a spare one, well, just get in touch with us and we'll pass on um, the details. And in return, what will you do? Take them to the World Economic Forum or something like that? There you go. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll <laughs> take them there or, you know, I'll think of something much more uh, entertaining perhaps, but we'll see. We'll see. So this is probably going to be a little bit more serious in tone than, than our last chat. Maybe no uh, mentions of Sharston Baths, where you used to live close to Manchester. That was such a cracking question. I loved it. I loved that. <laughs> I've not read through every single question yet because they're still coming in, but <laughs> there might be one which just throws a spanner in there. But you're an economist. You're an and renowned economist. Just for people listening to this for the first time who maybe don't know who you are. How would you uh, how would you describe your your, uh, uh, your role? I am trained in the dismal science. I am an international macroeconomist, and for my sins, I spent over thirty years full time professionally 
in the city of London. I was the chief economist of the one and only Goldman Sachs for the best part of a decade and was at the firm for nearly 20 years. Um, and I left about 10 years ago. And, I'm, and relevant to, I think, some of the things I might get onto as it relates to United, uh, I'm very heavily involved in public policy in the UK, particularly as it relates to the so-called Northern Powerhouse. Uh, and I'm uh, the chair of a very exciting thing that's been around now for nearly 18 months called Northern Gritstone, which is uh, a new entity that's investing in startups coming out of northern universities, including Manchester. Okay. Um, so that's kind of my background. Okay. So first question from Zenith. What does Jim make of the two formal bids that have been made to buy the club? In addition to that, I think there might be a third bid has uh, been reported by the Sunday Times, but the essence of the question is the same. From Elliot yeah. coming into the Sunday Times, yeah. Um, well, I think the way... Actually, let me say something. I am still not entirely sure, uh, pending on the price, that the Glazer family has given up the idea of attracting a significant minority investor. Okay. Um, which... Uh, I I can't believe that that would be a sustainable position for them to to have after what, everything that's happened since they hired Rain in such a public manner in November. But I suspect Avi and Joel wouldn't, you know, would love that. Um, but quite how they could have a United fan base that could live with that going forward, I have no idea. But so you know, I say that because the. There could be quite a few twists and turns to come, I suspect. Here, we we know of these two bids that were sort of trailed in the in the days before, um, and I have to say, I very much. I don't know if you've seen it on the assume so that that the guys that must put out a statement earlier today, which somebody sent me, uh, which I think is pretty pretty sensible. Both, you know, there's a lot of questions still to be asked um, about these two most profile bids. On, on the Elliot one, from the way it's being reported, is what they want to do is is really just lend the money to somebody else that might want to buy it, but it's not clear to me why why that's going to fly really, but we'll see. So the must uh, statement came in earlier, I'll read the top line of it. Uh, yeah. At the commencement of the sale process, must was very clear about our list of asks for any new owner of Manchester United. They were to restore the club to the top of European football, invest in the teams, the wider club and the stadium to ensure financial stability and to work in true partnership with the fans at all times. These principles have been backed to date by 150 fan groups uh, across the world. So you, th you think that's fair enough? I think it was, a, listen, uh, you know, the, the core issues that the most statements touched on is, is of course, um, all a reflection of the, what is it, 17, 18 years of Blazer ownership, the whole you know, can they or can the supporters really want uh, a new owner that, that may involve any debt? And, and of course, one of the obvious appeals, uh, some might say over the few appealing things of the Qatari approach, is that it would seem as though there wouldn't be any debt at all. Um, and so that, that is an important thing. When you, when you look at, and maybe we'll come back to this. When you look at the staggering amount of money that's being talked about to persuade the Glazers to sell 100%, um, very few people in the planet can get anywhere near that kind of money without borrowing. And the dilemma is, um, quite rightly, I think, for most fans, 
is they don't really care about that. What they want is investment in the club afterwards. But the higher the price, the more tricky it is for anybody other than a state-backed type entity um, to be able to do both. Um, and, and that's amongst the many complicated issues about all of this. And I think, as I touched on last time I was on with you, um, you know, if you really look at it as a financial analyst would, like myself, I mean, I can't see why the prices should be any more than three billion. Never mind some of this stuff that's flying around the papers again today, like five, six, or even higher. It seems seems to me a ludicrous amount of money for anybody rational, if they have anything close to that, to spend on a on a football club, particularly one that has not shown much revenue growth now for many, many years. But it's Manchester United, it's the crazy world of football, etc., etc., etc. Something you said in your first answer, Joel and Avi, yeah. you're saying that there's a split there between the siblings and that you, you, uh, you th- suspect that some of them want a complete sale, whereas Joel and Avi would uh, prefer to keep the club. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me... Um, and was for quite some time that there's a significant split in the family. And I don't entirely dismiss the, or did not dismiss the possibility that one of the reasons of having such a high-profile hiring of the Rain Group was for Avi and Joel to sort of demonstrate to the other four just how difficult it might be. Uh, because I do, I do think very confidently that the other four are extremely eager to sell and might, might have sold... Uh, at a more sensible price, but Avi and Joel are, are the two that are most focused and know all the all the various things about it. I suppose, I suppose, um, you know, think it's worth keeping hold of unless they can get somebody to pay them ridiculous money, um, and that's kind of where we are. So, you know, we don't know. There's a presumption being fed to. Uh, many sports journalists, it seems to me in particular, that these two bids are going to pay crazy price, but it's not entirely clear to me that they will. Uh, and if that's the case, it's not back to square one, but it certainly opens up again uh, behind the scenes the, the very substantial internal family dilemma that I think is going on. Is it not normal for a bank being appointed to be so well publicised? Do you think that was part of their tactics? And by getting those two bids, have they done their job because they could have a potential auction situation with with two or even three bids? I think uh, the Rain guys have have followed the template of the Chelsea uh, sale almost precisely. Um, And in that sense, they've done done the job by just getting uh, a minimum of two bids at the table. They've kind of done what they were asked to do. Uh, and now it'll be up to the family to decide, pending how the details are thrashed out in, in the, those and any other bids that we don't know about, uh, as to wh- whether they want to sell or not. Um, but I do th- I do think it was a bit strange in the first place, and again, may- maybe it's just I'm not up to, up to date on moving with the times, but you know the normal pro- process of, in the world of finances if you've got a really really good asset you know you shouldn't need to be so public about it in order to attract somebody to try and buy it uh so i think and this is another thing i would encourage your audience to not dismiss 
there's been a lot of smoke and mirrors going on and, 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 and you know stuff being fed to sports journalists that they just sort of print hook, line and sinker. So, uh, you know, let, let's see. And, you know, nobody's going to come out tomorrow and say the price, but, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that either of these bids want to pay the money that the media seems to be leaking the Glazers hope to get. If they don't... Yeah. Then, 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 as I say, we could be back to some very complicated situation. So sports rather than financial journalists. I, I've pretty much stayed away from this story, but I've been getting lots of briefed information and some of it directly conflicts with what I'm told the day before. And in football, I know my contacts are, I know who I can trust. But with this, I've, I've even got people saying to me, look, this is from a really high level, but I'd take it with a pinch <laughs> of salt. But I'm going to tell you anyway... And it's, there's just so many names, so much information. And when you start to follow up and ring people, they're like, well, no, no, no. He's not in a position to do that. So I can see why um, some of the reporting is also easy to disprove statements like an American consortium, which, you know, who's going to doubt that? And just a bit doubtful of, of, of yeah, some of it. And, of course, it goes back to the sort of tactics that this rain group... Uh, used for Chelsea, where they created the impression um, that there was, you know, tens of, of uh, approaches for Chelsea, but I'm pretty sure there was only three that were actually serious. Um, and because, you know, I, I sort of laugh to myself when I say it, but a lot of people lose sight of how colossal sums of money we're talking about here. You know, there's not... Again, I think I, I raised this with you on one of the previous two podcasts. When I, whenever I've talked to really wealthy people that I've come across in my old world, some of which get involved in football, you know, I don't think a rational person would spend more than 10% of their wealth on a football club. And so if that's the case, anything, you know, three billion upwards, you are talking about a staggering amount of money that somebody has to be worth unless they're borrowing a lot of debt. And uh, this, this is possibly a slight complication for the Jim Ratcliffe bit, of course, because he's doing, he seems to be trying to do it, understandably, through his business. But how can, how can his, his, you know, he have his business carrying a very significant amount of debt just to outbid uh, others, including at least the Qataris, and who knows who else, it, you know, it's, I'm not sure I'd be doing that if I were the chief exec of that company because the value of that company is in the stuff that relates to what it's core franchise the built up, which is chemical, um, you know, the, the world of global chemicals. Um, so it's very it's very tricky, but obviously Jim seems pretty keen. The next question is: Is there another ownership option that doesn't mean either loads more debt or sports washing from a from a Gulf state? Um, I wish there were going back to your opening comment about I think you used the phrase despondent um, you know I, 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 I constantly reflect back to, to my own attempt 12 years 12 actually been on now for 13 years back the so called Red Knights you know I and I think it's reasonably well known and I've mentioned it to you before we, we had discussions with representatives of the Qataris about being our anchor at the time, you know, and that that was, we were talking somewhere between 1.2 and 
Um, but when I reflect but I think the Qataris, for geopolitical reasons, decided, which looks to have been a very clever decision, they wanted to buy PSG instead, with the World Cup coming up and getting the French political support for all of that, etc. Um, but, you know, if that would have happened, that would have led to uh, an ownership model that would have had serious fan representation. And again, as I've said to you before, my, my ambition was for some almost like a philanthropic type ownership in, in which the people that owned it would get the equivalent of a bank deposit at best in their return, but it would be there for, for the collective benefit of Manchester United. Um, it's very, if I fast forward that, it's very interesting that both these bids that have been made so public are emphasising, you know, what they do for the club and all the rest of it. But uh, I think you've got a role yourself through United We Stand and everything else you represent, Andy, as do Must and all the other leading fan groups, to make, make sure that the fans' voice is there to make these guys realise that only Manchester United, if they really want to do it, is something that needs to be treated with an enormous amount of respect and very differently than the past 17 years. None of but the bidding... To, to, to have a fan-based thing mm. now, at the, you know, that what we can't lose sight of, if we want the players to sell, they're going to, rightly or wrongly, or, you know, they're, they're going to want to have a between the six of them, the, the money that will get them all to want to sell. And, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult... Uh, to organise anything vaguely like what I was trying to do 13 years ago to have the, the, the money, the revenue to be able to, to give what these guys have won. They're going to make a huge profit, aren't they? Huge. Uh, if, if it's anywhere near what's being fed into the media, absolutely staggering amounts of money. Even if it's not? Uh, and I, and I, they're going to make and a huge No, even if, it, even if it's not, if it's half, if it's, ha if it, if it's half that, they'd make a staggering amount of money. And as I say, if it were a normal business, if you look closely, um, what's that guy, Swiss Ramble, I think, did a very good piece on it. And Andy Green, of course, always writes on this stuff. But if you look at United's latest results, they are pretty financial results. They're pretty, pretty, pretty bothersome. And if that, if that was a normal business, analysts that would have worked for me in the past in my world would have said, hmm, I wouldn't want to own that stock. And yet, because it's United and football, nobody pays any attention to that kind of stuff. Why are they bothersome? What stood out to you? Because uh, I think they're currently running close to half a billion uh, in debt related to player acquisition on top of the debt that's still being carried going all the way back to the acquisition. But more importantly than just both of those things is there's no real revenue growth. Uh, that's taken place for across the whole various business streams for the past few years, and uh, um, it's not for the lack of trying by by these owners with the teams of people they have working out of London, and um, you know without some new version of the European Super League or some ability for United to have an individual deal, I, I'm not sure where that's going to come from. Uh, a lot of these American owners seem to be highly focused on some new form of monetization, but I just, you know, it's not as though this is a new idea. It's been around for years and it just doesn't happen. Uh, and particularly, as you know, and I think we've touched on before, that the, all these 
tens of millions of fans in China and elsewhere, you know, they don't just support Manchester United. A lot of them support two clubs, and a lot of them support whoever Ronaldo's playing for, or etc., etc., etc. And I'm not quite sure how an individual football club can get a load of money regularly from those kind of people, um, which seems to be what a lot of American owners believe they can they can use these high prices and not worry about but look at Chelsea um, <clears throat> you know that that fills me with all sorts of uh, views of the that maybe football really has entered some completely insane bubble these guys paid very high price to buy Chelsea they spent a ridiculous amount on players and I think I'm right in saying they're, they're not even in the top half of the Premier League uh, this evening um, and, and, and so why is that a rational thing to do? Okay, a couple of points well, from, know, from what you People you've want said. to buy, want to pay double that for United and why, okay. Yeah, irrationality and football definitely go hand in hand. Uh, to my knowledge, none of the bidding groups have been in touch um, with, with fans. Um, you mentioned the European Super League. I did meet the guy heading that up in, in I met him in Lisbon in November. I told him exactly how I, I, how I fought. The, the, the one point I did make was I could see why uh, clubs would like to see Manchester United play somebody like Barcelona more than once every 10 years or on pre-season. And uh, I think a few weeks later, United were drawn against Barcelona and there was an absolutely brilliant game. And I could just see some executives looking at that going, especially in Spain, where people are far more pro-European Super League than in England. This should be mm -hmm. happening um, more often. So, And that leads me to the next question from Pentecost. Have you had any contact with any of the bidders yourself? Uh, I've had contacts with a lot of people. Okay. Which is, yeah, I know, yes, I know them. Okay. Anything more to say on it than that, or you'd rather... Do you, feel, do you, do you think that... The... Listen, Go on. you know, I think... I, I, I've said to them uh, the way I'm saying here that I passionately believe in what I call profit with purpose and uh, in business in general these days uh, it's not just about a profit and it's somebody that wants to own two, two other aspects of that first of all Manchester United we all think of course but I think a lot of independent football observers would also say is pretty unique uh, and secondly with it as the Glazers have found out and I've experienced a little of during the Red Knight thing and I'm pretty used to global media Manchester United generates a degree of focus that is just pretty incomprehensible for people that aren't you know wouldn't have been in that situation so whoever ends up owning United is going to have regular scrutiny about everything about how they do it like they've never seen anything close to in their lives so in my opinion they've got to really think through carefully the style of how they're going to own it um, and possibly not lose sight of the fact <laughs> the end of the day uh, United fans might always hate the owner of, of United whoever they are even if the, even if they appear to be trying to do the right thing but you know I, I do think and that's why some of the, the wording that both sides have used is quite... I, I, I like it, because they seem to realise they have got to really respect this brand and its history and the amazing, complicated fan base of United 
in order to have a peaceful and enjoyable life going forward because otherwise soon after earning it they'll probably regret it for the rest of their lives leading into that a little bit pete 1987 says do you think jim ratcliffe has a reasonable a realistic chance of winning the bid and if so why uh i mean i want to repeat uh, without sounding too sort of coldly about it the decision about it will be made by the Glazer family, uh, probably on Wayne's recommendation. And the price that is offered is probably going to be the primary determinant. Uh, despite everything I just said a minute ago, I don't think that is going to hugely influence the Glazer's uh, decision. So uh, the, those issues I raised before are to do with life once the new successful owner succeeds in owning it. But the key thing is offering the money that Glazers want. And Jim has this uh, challenge, um, seemingly dealing with the, the Qataris, that they can find cash uh, without requiring any debt um, that might be a challenge for Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. Uh, a potential way around that would be to seriously consider the fan support and actually making it clear that any debt to fund an acquisition would only be temporary and the way they'd uh, get rid of it quickly is by turning it into equity and selling a lot of it to fans as owners. Uh, so you, it's not impossible there could be some other version, slightly more complex version of what I was trying to do 13 years back. You touched um, on the... But the owners don't care about stuff like that. Yeah. You touched on the different, maybe, demographic and type of Manchester United support. I'll give you two survey results. One from my Twitter yesterday, which has been answered by 60,000 people. Um, and that's saying, which of the bids, if any, would you prefer... Uh, 55,000 people have voted. Ineos, Jim Ratcliffe, 26%. Qatar's uh, Sheikh Jassim, 66.6%. Stay with the Glazers, 1.9%. They must be like rogue scousers on there. And none of them, 5.6%. However, I'll give you another poll from United We Stand. So this is behind a paywall. Probably more match-going supporters. And it's very, very different. Um, which of the, who would you prefer? Ineos, 74%. Uh, Sheikh Jassim, 24%. Stick with the Glazers, one vote. And I think that's obviously someone on a wind-up as well. So even though that's a much smaller vote, I've seen online, I, mean, I did some pretty balanced interviews on Friday night, and because you're not seen as being really strong pro Qatar, got a lot of abuse. You know, I didn't. Lots of there's lots of emotion flying around there. Um, mm. Next question from Howard Weecroft. Howard's a former. I think that I think well, I saw something from the Athletic that you probably know. Yeah. That showed very close to your United We Stand poll. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I I have to say my in terms of people that I chat to, uh, there seems to be a lot of. I think it's this desire to have a, you know, a cash buyout and money to invest. I, I'm a bit surprised by how, how many pro-Qatar ownership people that appear to be around. But I can get it because of 
you know, the, the problem that the, the current ownership has, has created for United. And if we want to be what we want to be, what's really needed is investment in leading training facilities and, uh, and without a, a completely new ground, a dramatic refit to Old Trafford. Uh, and somebody that pay somebody other than them that pays a crazy amount of money to just to own United may not have the money to invest in what's needed. But you know there is there are ways to try around it. As I'm, you know, if 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 Ineos have to borrow in order to come up with the money to get ownership, a, a savvy way to think about it, in my opinion, would be to explore uh, what's implicit partially in their statement of Friday night is. Well, actually, we're gonna we're gonna let the chance, the fans have a real chance to own a significant amount of the equity, but you know because then that could really test this enormous fan base we always think we have as to whether people actually want to really put a bit of cash behind it. I think ninety five percent won't. Certainly, the people um, I I see online. Um, maybe there's a lot of uh, younger fans as well who wouldn't be in a position to do that. That said, I think if equity was offered fans would stump up uh, money next question is from howard wheatcroft howard's a former sports editor of a national newspaper and is a united fan does jim have any inkling how qatari ownership might play out if that's what happens uh no <laughs> um not really um but uh obviously there is the model of psg that we can all observe um but as I said earlier, um, I did have discussions with representatives of Qatar about them being an anchor for the Red Knight uh, concept 13 years back. So I think they get some of these issues that are really important to match going United fans. Uh, and let me put it another way, if they don't and they end up owning it, it's not going to be very good for Qatar branding, is it? Um, which is ultimately what, what their goal, one would presume, is. Noddy86 says, do you see the government white paper playing out? How do you see it playing out? And will it have any tangible impact? Do you think the government will involve themselves in the process of these bids or stay out of it? Um, well, the, the sort of, not cynic, but the, the sort of experienced observer of Whitehall life and politics and geopolitics and business... I am pretty sure that the Qataris have sussed all of this out already. If, if we, you and I would have had this conversation four weeks ago, I would have thought it would have been impossible for anybody from Qatar or Saudi Arabia to buy United, given what they both own. But, you know, these guys, not born yesterday, they've just managed to, uh, to run, in the end, successfully a very controversial World Cup. So they know the way to navigate things and... I, I am presuming that the, that hurdle has been crossed and successfully already. Otherwise, they are being very naive. Next question, Philip15. Would a restriction on states owning clubs necessitate a change in the law uh, to, to give effect to that? And is there a downside in starting to restrict the potential pool of owners vis-a-vis -vis if you start turning off certain pools of private capital investment that restricts innovation and constrains the raising of standards. Part of Martin Samuel's argument was that the money going into Manchester City has ultimately raised the standard and standing of the Premier League. You know, I'm, I'm sort of... Uh, 
little bit contradictory in my own mind on, on this, but my, my main position as somebody from my background would be consistent with is that, you know, we need to be careful uh, as a nation not having such lofty principles which actually can be very naive uh, because we are, a but I don't want to get overly uh, economics like, but we're the ones the balance of payments current account deficit, which means we, we have to attract money from overseas. And, you know, the idea that you can have a special rule for uh, ownership of one particular form of thing, unless it's affecting national security, uh, I think is a bit questionable. So one of the very problematical areas of saying we should restrict uh, what sort of people can own football clubs, particularly if they happen to be not British, is that that would probably be challenged pretty well uh, successfully, I suspect, in a, in a business court, because um, why should it be any different than any other business where we happily accept plenty of foreign money, which, as I've said, we kind of need, because we don't save enough domestically and we need foreign capital. So. Um, in general, uh, I think we should be open to uh, capital coming from anywhere, uh, whether it be domestic or overseas. However, uh, and this goes to a, a, a parallel issue that's running in, in line with all of this that you touched on, we have, in the world of football, persistently weak standards of governance. Uh, my old, my old industry and my old firm often criticised about its role in creating global crises, but the standards of governance that go on in that world are much, much, much clearer and, and stricter and, and better respected than they are in, in, from what I can see in football. Uh, but that should not be confused with just saying, well, we don't want that person owning. But, you know, if... If we really do want the right standards to say we cannot have a foreign state owning a football club, then we should be pretty clear on that. But in reality, looking at what's transpired in the past few weeks, um, from what's been said, uh, at least you know the Qataris appear to have come up with a solution which they think is not going to be stopped by the regulator. Next question from Olsen11. Do you remember when there were dolphins in Cheadle Baths in the 1970s? <laughs> Cheadle Baths in the 1970s? Dolphins it's in the... He we... sent me a news story with the question saying that dolphins travelled around the northwest, but it appears that they lived in Cheadle Baths. 1977. <laughs> uh, I, that would be in my university days. This, this is not... You know, I was going to joke and he say that... Uh, Actually, which is true, because uh, it came up, it came up from another question on the last podcast I did. I used to go to Shaston Bass, not Cheadle Bass. Okay, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, lots of people um, got in touch remember, after that. Don't remember any dolphins in uh, Shaston Bass. Simon Byrne said the the Jim Ratcliffe bid looks to be the most morally acceptable, but is the most uh, financially suspect in terms of the debt remaining and being substantially added uh, to somewhere further up the chain. Do you believe the numbers stack up um, to, to be able to have a team that can challenge infrastructure development and service the debt fr from the bid? I mean, I'll answer it uh, further along the lines of what I've already said, but relate it more to my own uh, past involvement. 
you know, I had discussions uh, before all of this became public because it seemed to me so clear we were building up to some kind of formal potential sale. And uh, people that I know really well, that uh, let's say uh, some of them involved in the first Red Knights uh, or, or what I might call, you know, Red Knight Mark II, uh, we thought somewhere between two and a half to three billion, given what had gone on with global uh, business value uh, valuations and global sports since, might be a sensible price. Um, but that, that was taking into account that we believe uh, the Chelsea acquirers overpaid. Um, but as soon as all of this became so public, uh, we came to the conclusion that it was all now just sort of a bit of an ego and sort of madness to just attract very large amounts of money. And um, as we've touched on, I am not sure when I look at the next 20 years where the, the extra revenue growth can come to justify the kind of valuations that, that are being talked about. Okay. Some people just want to do it for branding and don't really care about the money. On the Qatari bid, would you be willing to return to the club as a board member or advisor if they reached out to you? Actually, that goes for both <laughs> bids, is the question. And, and for, as someone else has put a, a, another question I might as well throw in here. It's been suggested a Qatari bid with a commitment to develop Old Trafford and the surrounding areas is something that might dovetail nicely with your Northern Powerhouse remit. Would you agree with that? I, I saw that uh, made reference to in a newspaper today. Listen, I, as I said at the start, I, I am hugely involved uh, professionally with lots of, uh, or three different initiatives trying to deal with the productivity challenge of the country, uh, of the North in particular. And the Vice Pet Chair of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership and the Chair of Northern Gritstone and one of the founding members of a charity called Support and Help in Education. And uh, I think important businesses in the north of England uh, should be pretty committed to supporting those kind of things. Um, and I, I'd want to see, I would love a future owner of United to be supporting that and getting involved in some of these things because we need to do something about these kind of huge related challenges in order to, to make the north of England more prosperous but I, I, I would not want to just lend my name to some future bid just for the sake of it, no. Um, as my wife often says to me, why don't you just concentrate on being a fan? <laughs> One company in Bolton has uh, supported their local football club. Have you seen that today? The Tough Sheep community, they're renaming the Bolton Stadium after a local company who've agreed a five-year deal. The Tough Sheep community... Um, Stadium, the tough. It sounds like if you say it, the tough shit community stadium. <laughs> I, I had to read that twice. I just thought, is that a complete blag? But no, it's not. Um, Knocker West wants to know, based on what we've now seen and heard, what do you think is the best case outcome for United? I think uh, linked to and this is goes to why I, I happily accepted your invite to have this chat. I think uh, through lots of United we stand and through some of the channels, 
those that are pursuing the ownership of United must really commit themselves to a, a better, however complicated it is, a better ownership model of United that really represents the interests of its broad stakeholders. Um, and 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 create a you know it shouldn't lead to guaranteed success on the pitch because you know at the end of the day it's a sport right we want to we want to have the thrill and chase of, of of others competing but what I would really like to see is uh, a much more central culture and purpose where the ownership is completely reflective of despite all the various factions the passion and belief about everything to do with Manchester United Football Club, including his amazing history. You know what's not fair? The fact that Netflix hides thousands of shows and movies from you based on your location and then has the nerve to increase their prices on you. That's right, they've just increased the prices once again. Now you could just cancel your subscription in protest or you could be smart about it and make sure you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN. We use it. See, you might not know what's on Netflix in your country, but it's completely different from what someone in the UK or Japan or Spain or Ireland has on theirs. Using ExpressVPN, you can control what country you want Netflix to think that you're in. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from. So every time you run out of stuff to watch, you can just switch to another country and unlock new shows. With just one tap of a button, ExpressVPN lets you change your location from whatever country you're in to whatever country you want to be in. And here's the best bit. It's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows on other streaming services too. ExpressVPN is also really quick. It works on your phone, your laptop, even smart TVs. So you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. So stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at ExpressVPN. Look, go to expressvpn.com forward slash United. You can use our link and you get three months extra for free. That's expressvpn.com forward slash United. Expressvpn.com forward slash United. What would typically happen to the people who are already there? I was just struck before the game in Barcelona the other night. I hope, they don't, I hope nobody dare touch our manager because it. Well, that's what like I was going to say. You know, he was making comments the other night. One that seems amazing. Oh, he's good. He was making comments the other night about the history of Barcelona, the style of football that they play, Johan Cruyff, and I thought, I hope this is not leading where it could go if things went <laughs> went wrong. <laughs> Yeah, but, a, but no, a, it's a, good. A, a reoccurring link between Dutch and Spanish football. Well, there is, especially with, with, with Barcelona. I mean, Eric Tenog's doing a fantastic yeah. job. I do hear good things about Richard Arnold as well. He's the leading executive at the moment. And I've got loads of people giving me information. And if the majority of them were saying this guy's not working out, I'd report that. But they're saying the opposite. Mm. But would someone like him keep his job? Because I saw what happened at Chelsea where the new owner came in and just got rid of everyone competent or not now clearly they were competent because they won the European Cup I mean I, you know I don't know Richard at all actually so I can't comment but what I would say is I hear exactly the same from let's just say uh, people that I 
have a lot of respect for connected to the club uh, and have lived through not only the past 20 years but being centrally involved in in it beforehand as well so uh, it, it, you know I think it should be on merit um, and if, if he's doing uh, a better job as chief exec and obviously he will have had to understand a lot of the quirks of how Manchester United function on a day-to-day -day basis then he should be given a fair chance I guess that would be my approach I'm really intrigued how it's becoming the fans first, fans, fans, fans. There were times in the, the 90s and the noughties where people at Manchester United would not give the fans a, a nod in the desert. You know, it was literally <laughs> stay away from us. And it is changing completely now. Um, and I, I don't know where it all ends up, but I noted in, in the bids that have been made so far that it was, it was central to it. But then... I see what are Manchester United fans. It's such a disparate group of millions of people uh, and it seems that a lot of them want completely different things apart from the obvious. Uh, you know, you're right. You know, I, 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 I have talked uh, to a few people, as, you, as I hinted at earlier, that, that you know, United, United's fan base can, can perhaps make Beirut seem like a garden party given the differences of opinion that are often pretty strong on certain issues. But, but despite that, uh, I think there is a collective central, if you sort of think of a load of connecting sort of circles, uh, there is always a commonality in the middle of it, is all these groups that have different perspectives on certain issues have an enormous appreciation of what Manchester United has been about in its history. Um, going way back and obviously from uh, the Munich air crash tragedy through uh, Lord Best Charlton and, and on and on and on ever since and um, and, and, and the, the way that so many reoccurring players have had this magical connection with United fans is that you still often I don't you know even though the successful teams you don't really see that dare I say for example at City uh, who are who are almost so sort of technically accomplished, but where's where's the real link between the fans and the, and you know these great players? Uh, you know, United have got that, and all these different groups reflect that. And I, I I think the new ownership has to somehow lead that culture to be more central than at times it has been by the current owners. That you know rarely ever say anything, never mind anything else. I'd like to thank you for your time, Jim. I asked for 20 minutes. This call's been going on for, for 45 minutes now, and I think the people <laughs> who've listened, you know, there's, there's no definite answers here, but you've given us some guidance and, and your knowledge and wisdom, and I appreciate that. And if, if anybody is listening who's got a spare or two for the League Cup final, uh, in answer to your question earlier about why tickets are so hard, it's because United have not won a cup since 2017 and the opponents of Newcastle United are a huge club themselves and they've not won anything since Victorian times. So it's driving this massive demand for the game at Wembley and everyone's looking forward to it. So I, I do hope you get sorted out. I hope you enjoy the Barcelona game. It'd be great if Manchester yeah. United can beat Barcelona at Old Trafford. I think the fans have got a massive part to play since we've been talking about the fans and do a lot yeah. more 
It was disappointing against Sevilla in 2018, even against Atletico last season, and they both knocked United out. Um, the fans have got to do the bit. It's all right moaning about what the players have got to do. The fans have... And it was good in camp, though, the other night, the atmosphere. The home fans really got behind their team. So, if it's half as good as that game, then we're in for another treat. And keep in touch, and thanks again for your time, Jim. All right, mate. Thanks a lot, Andy. Best wishes. And uh, I look forward to all the people sending you tickets for me. Via you. <laughs> we'll see. Anyhow, take care, mate. We'll speak soon. So that's it for this United We Stand podcast. It's another huge week for Manchester United. The game against Barca on Thursday, which is where we'll bring you the next podcast from. Hopefully we're in a decent mood, having beaten the Catalans. And then we've got the final at Wembley on Sunday. We're also going to be working on the next issue of United We Stand. We're going to bring it out against West Ham in the Cup. We've sold out of this issue, so we didn't have any copies on sale against Leicester. We won't have any copies on sale against Barcelona. We did print more, but we're getting a lot of support from you, which we appreciate massively. If you want to subscribe to the next 10 issues, that's the one way of guaranteeing that you'll get the mag, then go to our website, uwsonline.com. The deadline for subscribing for this issue is this Friday. So please uh, just do it. If you're going to do it, do it before this Friday. We get people missing the deadlines and then saying, where's my mag? Well, we have deadlines for a reason. So it's out against West Ham and we're going to be busy working on it right the way through to seven o'clock Monday morning when it goes to print, hopefully. Having seen Manchester United have a decent win at Wembley. A decent win? Any win at Wembley. Thanks for listening to Jim O'Neill. I uh, hope hopefully you found it thought-provoking. And aside from all the football, we've got all the stuff on the ownership and potential takeover of Manchester United. Never a dull moment with this football club, is there?